0: Welcome to Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. I'm Tim Friedman, your host, along with rock and roll expert, fellow Clevelander, Frank Ost. Frank, how are you today?
1: Great. Good to see you again.
0: We are wrapping up Season 1 in the next couple of episodes, and, um, and we're going to start the way we usually do, with Hall of Fame inductees of the Rock Hall this year, 2008. 1964 brought us the British Invasion and a group called the Dave Clark Five inducted or introduced by Tom Hanks, which makes sense. They kind of had that The Wonders feel to it. Oh, that's true, yeah. They were the ones, until the Stones came around and a lot of the other British invasion groups that gave the Beatles a real run for their money. In fact, Glad All Over had the distinction of knocking out I Want to Hold Your Hand from the top spot in the really? UK, you know, although I only made number six here. DC5 they were called, and um, they had some other hits too. The band from Tottenham England, Because, uh, Over and Over. That's the only one that went hit to number one in the States. I like it like that. Catch us if you can. What would you think about Dave Clark 5?
1: Uh, I, I liked them. Uh, nice sound. Uh, like you said, they were kind of a follow-up to the Beatles, but uh, darn good follow-up, if you ask me. A lot of good songs, a lot of... Uh uh, hit records and uh, even made some movies. Uh, it wasn't too long ago, a few months ago, I caught one on uh, Turner Classic Movies. So it was kind of interesting.
0: Sounds a little like the Beatles, exactly. huh? Hard Day's Night. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. We were mentioning how The Doors had that one and only appearance on Ed Sullivan. Dave Clark 5 appeared not one, not 10, but 18 times. Wow. I had no idea they were that popular on that no, show. No, I didn't either. Do you real Do you remember how many times the Beatles were on just by happenstance? Because I don't know. Two? I want to
1: say half dozen times maybe, you know, seven or eight times.
0: Original member and lead vocalist Mike Smith was planning on attending the induction ceremonies in 2008, but died shortly before that night. Madonna, introduced by Justin Timberlake. Makes sense. Veronica is her confirmation name. Girl, uh, born and raised in Michigan, moved to New York on a, a dancing kind of scholarship. She wanted to pursue a dance, then music. And then in 1983, Madonna came around like a virgin. Her follow-up, True Blue, and record sales, over $300 million. She is the best-selling female music artist of all time by Guinness World Records. I thought is it that might be so? Mariah or Beyonce, but no, it's still Madonna. I thought it was going to be Mariah, but no, you're right. No, that's great. Uh, she holds the record for most number one singles by female artists in not only Australia, Canada, Ita- Italy, and Spain. <laughs> so you <can> see, <laughs> She's also headlined the halftime show, like many others, like The Who. Uh, Super Bowl forty-six at Indy in 2012. Her influences, you would um, come to expect, Debbie Harry, Chrissy Mm -hmm. Hine, The Supremes, Led Zeppelin, and Karen Carpenter.
1: Really? Wow. How many can say that they're uh, influenced by Led Zeppelin and Karen Carpenter?
0: Hard to say that in one breath. I like them both. Karen Carpenter is one of the best voices I've ever heard. Absolutely. And talk about a lonely voice, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Great performer, though, too. She acted in movies. I recently saw another replay of A League of Their Own. She's been in Dick Tracy, Evita, two dozen movies, as a matter of fact. And wow. everybody was voguing in 1990. Absolutely. Uh, I like Madonna, you know, in the 80s and into the 90s. Her latest album, Madam X, was just released a couple of years ago. That's her 14th studio album. Billy Joel introduced John Cougar Mellencamp, now John Mellencamp. First Johnny Cougar, then John Cougar, you know, he had all kinds of iterations to his name. Yeah,
1: I think he was even little Johnny Cougar at one point. He probably (laughs) was.
0: The more popularity and power he got with his record company, the uh, shorter his name became. He was a founding member of Farm Aid, and they still do that. Uh, It's raised over $60 million in 36 years. I didn't realize that. I didn't either. He is quite a performer, and I saw him, it was a New Year's Eve at Coliseum. It must have been... 1980, I think, because it wasn't around very much in 80, 81, or two.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: opening for Michael Stanley. Oh, be darn. Opening for yeah. Michael Stanley. Well,
1: yeah, back then, absolutely. Michael Stanley was the biggest thing, one of the biggest things around here, and uh, he, he, Cougar was still trying to get his uh, feet wet as far as a national audience. The Ventures, introduced by John Fogarty. They've been around
0: since 1958. They got together in Tacoma, Washington, the instrumental rock band. You may remember Walk Don't Run. Mm-hmm. Not to be outdone by Walk Don't Run 64 <laughs> and the Hawaii Five O theme song a few years later. Uh, they used fuzz and flanging guitar effects in their music, 12 string guitars, and they were one of the first to employ a, a concept type of album in their instrumental rock music. Okay. They've recorded over 38 albums in their career. Isn't the that something? I just heard one of their Christmas tunes a couple months ago. The Ventures. Leonard Cohen. What do you know about Leonard Cohen?
1: I don't know a lot about Leonard Cohen. I feel bad about that. But the only thing I do know is the song uh, Hallelujah. Hallelujah, which yeah. just
0: about everybody has performed. Poetry, novelists, uh, hmm, wrote books. What a novel idea. <laughs> Lou Reed said that the world is better just having Leonard Cohen in it, and I agree.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Now, finally, in the non-performer Ahmet Erdogan category, Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff. Here's a list of some of the songs they wrote credited with designing that beautiful Philadelphia sound. Me and Mrs. Jones, Backstabbers, Love Train, For the Love of Money, I Love Music, uh, Spinners. Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, fellow Philly band, Love I Lost, Wake Up Everybody, and Bad Luck. Those just wow. they've written hundreds and hundreds of songs.
1: That's incredible.
0: So they deserve to be the Songwriters Hall of Fame and the Rock and Roll Hall oh, of Fame. Oh,
1: absolutely, absolutely.
0: Spotlight year 1981. I talked a little bit about when we first got our podcast going, Frankie. You know, it's not that I didn't care about the music of the 80s. Uh, as we moved toward the mid to late 80s, uh, my musical tastes just kind of evolved. They went in a different direction. Right. After Born to Run came out, I know Springsteen was still putting out stuff. So was the Stones, uh, the were of the Stones, Billy Joel, Hart, you know, Pat Benatar, Madonna. They were still doing their thing, and a lot of them were touring. But by then... I'd kind of moved into a different direction. I was working at Q104, and back then in Cleveland, it was easy listening, followed by smooth jazz, right. no, no longer Andre Castellanos and the Pozo Seco singers. It was <laughs> smooth jazz artists like Russ Freeman and the Rippington's, okay. Dave Benoit, Larry Carlton, and Tom Scott, who we talked about before with Sure Dan. And new age artists like Will Ackerman, David Arkinstone, and Andreas Vollenweider. That's who I was listening to. We promoted some of those uh, some of those concerts, and mm. some we didn't, but I would just go see the music and, and see the bands. And that's where I was going. I kind of developed a different taste in music where I still liked rock and roll. In fact, my first CD I ever purchased was Tunnel of Love by Bruce Springsteen. Really? Okay. And didn't have a CD player, so I would... Show my wife, I'd put it on the turntable and say, you know, this just isn't working. I don't know what's going on. Here. <laughs> uh, so, wouldn't uh, you know, I got a little nice CD humor. Hey, uh, old CD. Oh, I got a little CD. I think Cindy's like uh, one of those newfangled compact disc yes. m- machines, uh, doohickeys, gizmos. Uh, don't you worry, I'll figure out how to program it. Uh, I got a a single CD player, still have it, Techniques, and uh, Tunnel of Love was the first CD I purchased in probably 1987, Mm -hmm. so I still dug rock and roll. Didn't see as many shows because I was listening to playing the music and and going to the shows for those other artists. And some of the groups, uh, you know, we were talking about Dave Clark Five, the Grassroots, the Buckinghams, Three Dog Night, into the 70s, the early 70s groups were starting their greatest hits tours. You know, oh, absolutely, tours. yeah. And uh, people were still touring. Paul McCartney was still touring, and you were hoping it wouldn't be his last time around. Little but, did
1: we know. Yeah,
0: little did we know. And you could still see shows. Did you feel the same way? Did you about going to see shows? I know he had... Yeah,
1: at a certain point uh, in the 80s, it did change. Uh, it it changed from rock being the kind of the front and center taste of the new generation to a little bit of a back burner, and a lot of uh, the bands, especially that I like, were no longer putting out one or a record a year or anything like that. They were putting out one every two or three years, like we talked about uh, with the Who, for uh, as far as one of them. Uh, and very, uh, in a lot of cases, the new stuff wasn't that tremendous. And they weren't getting the airplay either. Absolutely that, that, not. That they used
0: to. They were still putting out stuff. I know Paul McCartney had albums and CDs and stuff. but um, Right, it's, right. Was, it's not getting the, the airplay. James Taylor was like that too, and, and other folks are starting to get older like Carole King and, and not doing as much anymore. So, you know, back then rap was taking over. That was a younger kid, a younger generation for me. I did not, was not into rap at all.
1: And what passed for rock was the hair bands
0: right white snake and <laughs> yes. white lion and quiet riot and night is not into that at all right some of it was okay i did like some white snake um deaf leppard a little bit yeah, yeah Def leppard hysteria no no problem i like that stuff i still wouldn't go see a show because no i, I mean i have to wear earplugs and at age 28 i'd feel old exactly it didn't make any sense to me so i just kind of developed my my taste in another direction and i was happy about it too Spotlight year 1981, High Infidelity, one of the top albums. Arieo Speedwagon. What'd you think about that breakout album? I know they had You Can't Tune a Fish and
1: Yeah, it was like about their tenth album, I believe, or ninth or tenth album when they finally did hit it big. Uh, but they they're. they're uh uh I, I felt a lot, a lot of good for them because they worked really hard in their career, and they did a lot of touring, and they did a lot of uh, putting out albums that just kind of just faded from view, and so it was nice to fe- see them finally hit the big time.
0: They had some early stuff, uh, which I, I really like, Riding the Storm Out oh, is yeah. good, and Time for Me to Fly. Um, they sold 10 million copies of High Infidelity, and it's not that they came out of nowhere. They were working on on some really good stuff and that solidified them as another big venue, maybe not stadium, but certainly a Coliseum type right, of group. Exactly. I saw them at the Coliseum in probably eighty three. Kevin Cronin and Gary Richrath, like mm-hmm. Gary's passed away five years ago already or six years ago. Hard to believe. But they were good in concert. They were really, really good in yeah, concert. Yeah, they were known as
1: a as a live band, that's for sure.
0: And that album put them into the same category, I believe, with Journey and Foreigner and the bands of the early eighties like that. Face Dances by The Who. We kind of talked about The Who in in previous episodes. Uh, The album It's Hard, where Eminence Front came from, was going to be a year later. Anything about the... the, I wasn't crazy about Face Dances, You Better, You Bet. It was okay.
1: Yeah, it was an okay album. Uh, Didn't do a whole lot for me other than they did another tour that uh, was after their farewell tour. So (laughs) The Who has had about five of those, I think. They're not the only ones
0: either, are they? couple we've talked about before, Rolling Stones, Tattoo You, Stevie Nicks, "Belladonna." both great albums.
1: Fantastic albums. Uh, what I noticed going through, as you said, uh, going through the records of, of 1981, there might not have been as many uh, great albums, but boy, the ones that were out that year, were either one of my favorite or my favorite by that artist. And you just talked about high infidelity, but yeah. also Tattoo You was fantastic. Really good. Belladonna For- yeah. was fantastic. Abacab by Genesis, another one. Right.
0: Rush, Moving Pictures. Yes.
1: Oh, probably their best as far as I'm concerned.
0: Me too. We haven't talked a lot about Rush. Uh, Geddy Lee, vocals, bass, keyboards, Alex Lifeson, Neil Peart, who passed away in 2020. They got together in 68, so they were around a while. Mm-hmm. And by the time 1981 came around, the blues rock, a hard rock, progressive rock, Tom Sawyer, which I like. And then I don't like, and then I can't stand, and then I put it in the category of I'm sick of song. And then I like it again, same with Limelight. <laughs> it was a really guess. good when it came out, um, but I think it's overplayed. But I really like Rush. I kind of wish I had seen them in concert, although I think with some bands, it probably would have grated on me after a
1: while. I think so, too. I think so.
0: Fly By Night, Fear World of Kings, Permanent Waves. These guys put out an album a year. Oh, yeah, they did. Until the late 80s. Escape by Journey. Talk about another one of those great albums great albums maybe yes. a little overplayed uh, i think perhaps overrated especially with one of the cuts on it which we've talked about journey was our featured artist in episode two don't stop believing not by far i didn't think it was the best cut in that album to me it was who's crying now and right. it still is although it gets a little neil sean heavy yeah it does 81 was another
1: good year for the police ghost in the machine uh they they're one of the few bands that i can say just every record they put out they got a little bit better and this was one that was more hard a little more hard edged it wasn't as mu- much reggae as they'd done in the past uh fantastic record though with every little thing she does is magic spirits in the material world invisible sun just fantastic great stuff great stuff phil collins face value oh in the Air Tonight was on there, I believe.
0: If you've never heard the song In the Air Tonight, you've never been to a sporting event, especially right. a big one. <laughs> <laughs> or you've never watched MTV or something.
1: Yes, exactly. Or you didn't watch any uh, primetime TV in the 80s. <laughs> Behind the Lines,
0: missed again. He wrote most of the album because his wife left him, and so he was feeling blue, but came out with that that unbelievable album. Fantastic. In 1981. Paradise Theater The Sticks Band was back Van Halen Fair Warning Yeah Fear Warning Alright You know were, You can tell when Jump came out in 1984 right. That was right. a whole different world Ozzy Osbourne Diary of a Madman Go-Go's Female Band Absolutely Beauty and the Beats Yep Came out about the same time as Foreigner 4 which was my favorite
1: It was How uh theirs. It again uh, was we talked about it seemed like that year, everybody hit their stride, and that was another one. You know, uh, I Want to Know What Love Is, or Waiting for a Girl Like You, that kind of stuff. Jukebox just, Hero, Urgent. Yeah, just incredibly good stuff.
0: Good-looking cover, too, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. But Waiting for a Girl Like You was a great song. It was what kept, a fantastic It was kept song. out of the top spot by Olivia Newton-John's Physical. Spent 10 weeks at number two. Is that true? <laughs> Because physical is 10 His weeks in number physical
1: one. Physical was number one. Yeah. But get
0: this Foreigner 4 spent 10 weeks at number one well, on the Hot go. 200 album
1: chart. I believe
0: that. So, other albums that were really good Hollow Notes, Private Eyes, Jay Giles, Freeze Frame, which I got a little tired of. It was okay, but boy, they overplayed that song.
1: But again, that was the, 1981, the biggest Jay Giles album ever. I mean, yeah. by far. I mean, they, they were another band that uh, seemed to be uh, just kind of. Going through the motions, and then all of a sudden, boom! Yeah. They exploded with a Freeze Frame and uh, some of the other Centerfold and centerfold. some of the great stuff on there.
0: Now, talk about a great band in concert. Hard oh, working bands. Yes, band.
1: absolutely. And
0: Grammy Award winners for the, ne- the next year Men at Work, Business as Usual, Who Can It Be Now, and Down Under. They came out smoking, didn't they? Oh, they sure did. I remember they said at the Grammy Awards a year later when they won for Best New Artist, the men will be back again. And they were, just uh, like three months later with the song Overkill. Remember their follow-up album? Right, exactly. It was Cargo" in 1981 also brought us the follow-up. I thought it was a long-awaited follow-up for Tom Petty. It was only two years, but it seemed longer. Hard Promises. I think he had some trouble with uh, his record company again. And, again. And so but put out the waiting, and I love that song but I wasn't real familiar with the rest of the album since I didn't buy it. I don't know why. I waited for two years for it to come out and then didn't buy it.
1: But the waiting itself was a a darn good record. It was worth the wait. Yes, definitely. Top
0: songs that year, Keep On Loving You, REO Speedwagon, Gary U.S. Bonds, and This Little Girl from the summer of 81. What What'd you think? Wow.
1: I forgot when that one was even around. Yep. But I do remember it being played. Written by the boss, Bruce Springsteen. That's right. To number 11 in the
0: States, originally came from an outtake of the song called Ain't Good Enough for You from the Darkness on the Edge of Town album. Hmm. Uh, so he had a lot of success in the early 60s, even headlined above the Beatles in a 1963 concert in Europe. Really? So, yeah. April Wine a nice little song called Just Between You and Me mm. I really like that song. Yeah, absolut- excellent once in a while. song. Kim Carnes Betty Davis eyes number 1 for the entire year.
1: Yeah, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing that song. Yeah, yep. and, yep. and John Lennon of course. Betty Davis eyes.
0: Yep, and John Lennon starting over, Woman, Watching the Wheels.
1: Uh, oh, fantastic stuff it was.
0: All those years ago the song about John Lennon but originally it was not right. about that. It was uh it was written with something else in mind. And then when George, when John died, George reworked the lyrics. And that hit number two in the summer of 81. It featured McCartney, Ringo, Denny Lane. And it was actually written prior to his death. The original thought was to give the version to Ringo, but Ringo thought it was too high a pitch for his range. Okay. So George reworked the lyrics after John's tragic death and uh, sang the song. and It was a big hit for him. Queen, Another One Bites the Dust, written by bassist John Deacon. They haven't, uh, he didn't do much, and after Freddie Mercury's death, he took it so hard, he kind of dropped out of the music industry, and now I guess I he's didn't realize collecting that. his royalties for writing that song, and You're My Best Friend, Okay, and co-writing Under Pressure. Mm-hmm. So I guess you can just sit around and look in the mailbox. And Absolutely. Sweet Baby, George Duke and Stanley Clark, my um, musical tastes were kind of all over the place. Okay. I really like that song. It's a nice... Those two are great instrumentalists, but oh, uh, Stanley uh, Clark's
1: a wonderful bass player.
0: What a great song that was! Uh, a lot of those songs were out in the summertime. Hey, Nineteen, Time Out of Mind, Steely Dan—they were our featured artists not too long ago. Steely, uh, Stevie Nicks and Tom Petty, "Stop Dragging My Heart," number three for six weeks in a row. What do you think about that one?
1: Fantastic, yeah. and that uh, whole Belladonna album just. Uh played throughout the year Let's put it, that it way.
0: rocks i love it, it greg Kinban band the breakup song hit number 15 remember uh the song jeopardy that hit number two a couple years later but right yeah
1: yeah this was the one they don't write them like that anymore if nope. you if you're not familiar with the the tune but that's the the famous catch hook there they don't write them like that anymore now
0: let me know if you've heard this before greg kin's early influence seeing the beatles on the ed sullivan show
1: Never would have thought.
0: If you and I were old <laughs> enough to watch the show, we'd be big-time rock and roll stars by now, too. Absolutely. everybody
1: else was. Absolutely.
0: I think my mom would have been watching FBI or what was on I don't on know if
1: then? we were watching it or not, Disney. to be honest with you. I was only, I would have been seven years old, seven and a half, so... I was four. I remember it, but I don't remember it. My
0: brother was not into the Beatles. He sort of into Beach Boys and that West Coast sound. My Mm -hmm. brother was into Motown. So our musical tastes were all over the place. My mom loved Johnny Mathis. Okay. And I think I told you my sisters liked uh, the Monkeys, the Monkees, Bobby Sherman, and and so they had different tastes and not not mainstream for my brothers, which was funny because I wasn't hearing Revolver in the other room and Sergeant Pepper's. I was hearing. Monkeys and Wayne Fontana and the Mindbenders, groups okay, like that. Okay, there so. you go. And, of course, Wixie 1260.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Super Radio.
0: New music spelled M-U-S-I-K. Back to Room 1. That's one of the one-hit wonders we're going to talk about today. You probably don't remember okay. them.
1: No, I don't.
0: Well, they were an English synth-pop group formed in 1977, featuring Tony Mansfield, Neil Straker, Tony Hibbert, and Pete Towner. So <laughs> Mansfield went on to co-produce Aha's debut album, Hunting High and Low. Oh, really? Okay. That song, Take On Me? Of course. Other one-hit wonders, Marty Balin and Hearts. That's going to be one of the topics we dive into in uh, uh, Season 2, which will be coming up before too long. Uh, artists that were with a popular band and then decided to strike out on their own and may or may not have made it.
1: Absolutely. Marty Boy, ba- is that a, <laughs> th- that a wild subject.
0: Great song, but that uh, solo career for old Martin Buckwald, a native of Cincinnati, just didn't really happen <laughs> for him, did it? <laughs> no, it didn't. It did hit number one, Hearts Did, in the summer of 81. Primary founder of Jefferson Starship. Sweetheart, remember Frankie and the Knockouts? Frankie I think I do remember F- that song. For A-N-K-E. It mm-hmm. uh, hit number 10 in the summer. Maybe not their only hit, but uh, the one I liked most. Spent 19 weeks on the chart in 1981. He had a couple of other hits from that album. Uh, Frankie was not done, though. He wrote two songs for the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. Did he really? Hungry Eyes and I've Had the Time of My Life. Okay. Yeah. So I once, remember when the uh, Indians uh, baseball was on strike in 1981? Yeah. I think WMMS, the local radio station, rock station in town, got together with some of the Cleveland Indians, including Joe Charbonneau, Len Barker, I believe was there too, for a celebrity softball game at one of the middle school fields at Shaker Heights, I remember going. And Mm -hmm. Frankie and the Knockouts was one of the featured people uh, groups guests <laughs> i don't know where he played third base or pitcher or something but okay it was kind of a fun day the place was packed they were still a couple weeks away i guess from the strike being over mm-hmm. and back then charbonneau and len barker they were just like you and me regular guys it that's, seemed that's true and they weren't living in their gated
1: communities no not in, not back then
0: they heard about this came out and played some ball it was fun nice Not-so-good songs.
1: Ugh.
0: Endless Love. Theme from Greatest American Hero by oh the my famous goodness.
1: Joey Scarberry. Yep, I remember that.
0: Sukiyaki made another return appearance, which I actually kind of dig. Taste of Honey did it. We've heard them before with Boogie Oogie Oogie. Right. ABBA, the winner takes it all, the Hall of Fame ABBA. Stars on 45 Medley by the Stars on 45. 45. Juice Newton, Angel of the Morning, not a big Juice fan. I liked some of her stuff, but overplayed. Diana Ross, uh, not to be outdone, I'm coming out. Air Supply, the group from Down Under. Every woman in the world to me. Yeah, I'm getting a headache just oh, yes. saying these that, songs.
1: That, that was a great record.
0: One song I did like, though, was Christopher Cross's Arthur's Theme. I love that movie. and Oh, okay, yeah. The movie was doing great. The song was great. I just love anything about Arthur or Arthur's Theme. Christopher Cross, I know he's Yacht Rock. He's still one of my favorite artists of all time. And I think we said that uh, he did get over the COVID uh, illness that he had uh, early in that pandemic, uh, but still performs in his home state of Texas and still doing his thing and sounds really good. It is time for our featured artist, Elton John, Reginald Kenneth White. Hall of Famer, Rock Hall, 94. Songwriters Hall of Fame, in 1992. Frank Elton John, what do you think?
1: Fantastic. What, what can be said? He's, he's frustrated me an awful lot over his career to make no doubt about it. But, uh, talent is, uh,
0: undeniable. He's Captain Fantastic. Sure is. He had not one but two albums debut in the top spot. That was Captain Fantastic and the follow-up Rock of the Westies. Rock of the Westies, And at yeah. the time it was unheard of, as we said. I don't know. I'm sure it's been eclipsed by now by Beyonce
1: or Mariah Carey. Sure, or yeah. Extreme and they, or somebody. they keep track of it so, so much different today than they did back it's then. It's just totally different.
0: So it was uh, Elton John, Got that name as a tribute to Bluesology members Elton Dean and Long John Baldry. It's a band he played with very early in his days as a pub player and singer, and then took the name Elton Hercules John officially in 1972. Really? So he started playing piano, and he was in the clubs, and then he hooked up with the Hollies, you know, a little group from England. Oh, yes. He and heavy, he's my brother. Definitely. He recorded that song at the Abbey Road Studios. He and Heavy was co-written by Bobby Russell. Not the one who wrote the number one hits, "Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia" or "Honey." Okay, but it was the Bobby Russell who wrote Babaloo. Oh, remember Ricky, Ricardo's Ricky Ricardo? Ricky Ricardo? Yeah, absolutely. So Elton started working with Bernie Top and they kind of—I I guess there's different different ways. I heard that they get together. This one might have been uh, they answered an ad in the paper, or the record company put them together. Any number of ways, but okay. I'm glad they got together. Absolutely. Bernie was the lyricist, and Elton would get the the lyrics and put some music to it. And my goodness, what a a pair. He sold over 300 million records, 50 top 40 hits. Kennedy Center honoree, star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame, Grammy Award winner, Tony Awards, Academy Awards, Golden Globes. He's done it all. That's right. Heavily involved in the AIDS uh, fight since the 80s. He still has the event, you know, after the Oscars. Mm -hmm. And uh, over the years, he's raised better than a... Half a billion dollars, five hundred million dollars through his AIDS Foundation and the tremendous research they can do. He was appointed at the you know the CBE, the Commander of Order of the British Empire in 95, ninety five, right. 90 by Queen Elizabeth three years later. His father was a lieutenant in the Royal Air Force and tried to steer his son toward more of a, you know, conservative career. Right. He thought banking might be good for Elton. Oh, I would I could see him. Can you I imagine him waiting it. on you, yeah, at the drive through window? Yeah, really. <laughs> I, I, I think Elton, though, uh, has found his way to the bank. I
1: think that uh, he made a good choice yeah, with there. With 300
0: million records sold, I think he, he's definitely learned how to bank.
1: He'll be okay.
0: His albums, Empty Sky... Um, I remember your song. You know, Elton John, mm-hmm. the uh, 1970. He was nominated for album of the year for the uh, album Elton John. Uh, Bridge over Troubled Waters won that one. That's you know, right. Elton didn't win his first Grammy, even though it was nominated almost every year until 1987 with that song. That's what friends are for.
1: Oh, I didn't realize that.
0: Tumbleweed Connection, 1970. I remember your song, and then Rocket Man and Honky Cats. And I know there was. A lot in between. There
1: was. There was. Like
0: Madman Across the Water and Friends and 171170. Wow. You remember that That 171170? It's called 1170. Yeah,
1: it's a, it's a live album. Yeah, it was
0: a live album broadcast in New York on WABC, which is now WPLJ. Um, bootleggers loved it, so they, it wound up being played everywhere, so the record mm-hmm. company decided to put it out. Then came Madman Across the Water in what 1971. fantastic record. Notice we're saying 70, 71 over and over again. It wasn't the first time he put out two albums in a year, no, was it?
1: No, and it wouldn't be the last.
0: Tiny dancer, Leave On. Of course, the title cut, Madman, only hit mediocre number 41 in the UK on the album chart there, but did reach number eight here.
1: And I think he was still trying to find his way. Uh, it was just before he kind of... Uh, his next record would be Honky Chateau, and he kind of uh, tightened things up and got more of a hit sound. Boy, when you listen to uh, Mad Man Across the Water and you listen to the string arrangements on there, it's just brilliant.
0: It is. Honky Cat and Rocket Man were part of Hon- Honky Chateau, came out a year later. Mona Lisa's and Manhattans. it's always a favorite of mine to hear. He played that at the yep. tribute to the 9-11. Uh, first album to feature his touring band of bassist D. Murray and Nigel Olson who would he, he would kick out of the band a few years later. But nevertheless, they've come and gone over the years. But right. back then, they were made full-time members. Record Company didn't think they were strong enough to play on the records. So mm. they had other guys play, but then he hired these guys on along with Davy Johnstone uh, full-time, and, of course, he played keyboards. Right. Don't Shoot Me, I'm Only the Piano Player. That was uh, thought of by the title by Groucho Marx. I thought that would be a good name for an album. So Absolutely. There you go. And wow. it was. Rock Rock Daniel Have Daniel, mercy on the criminals yes, elderberry wine topped the album charts in the US and UK a honky chateau was the first of several number ones he had in the US but in 1973 don't shoot me was released late in 72 right in the cusp but in late 73 goodbye yellowbrick road came out and that's, yes, that's
1: that was incredible
0: just a, just a major album, that double album set, Harmony, the title cuts, Benny and Jets were on there. Mm-hmm. Just a
1: great album. Love Lives bleeding. Yep. Oh, yeah.
0: Then Caribou. Now, he started recording at the Caribou Ranch in Nederland, Colorado. That's where That's Chicago her. recorded so many of their yep, things. And, absolutely. And Dan Fogelberg. His eighth studio LP, number four album in the States. So it did not hit number one, but it featured The Bitches Back and Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. 74 was a good year for him as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Captain Fantastic, 1975. The Rock of the year. Westies, yeah. These were all at the Caribou Ranch. He, he liked it there. A lot of people did, didn't they? Captain Fantastic, really, they only released Someone Save My Life Tonight, but Meal Ticket was on there. What'd you think mm-hmm. of that album? I thought it was going to do better once it debuted so high. It had such high promise
1: i i think it the problem was there was just too much elton at that time because even though we've mentioned all the albums there were also singles that were being released during that time period and he was working with our other artists so he was on other people's records you couldn't literally you couldn't listen to two or three songs on on top 40 radio and not hear elton john
0: and they were all good Oh, absolutely. And there are songs that appear on maybe The Greatest Hits Volume 2 that weren't released on an album, Philadelphia Freedom. Went to number one. That's about Billie Jean King, although I'm glad she didn't sing. I think she's better at playing tennis <laughs> than she's singing, I suppose. But he did have another number one that summer. In 76, uh, the next summer, rather, Don't Go Breaking My Heart with Kiki D, which right. was originally intended to be recorded with Dusty Springfield, but she took ill and could not make the recording sessions. So oh, really? Kiki D was just uh, coming off that big hit. Um,
1: you got the music in me? Yeah. I think, was was that her big, big hit?
0: Yeah, Kiki D had that song, uh, went to, I think, number 12 or something like that, almost the top 10. In late 74, I've got the music in me, and so she filled in nicely. Don't Go Breaking My Heart was written by Anne Orson and Carte Blanche. <laughs> <laughs> Pseudonyms for topping and... and really? Top. Okay. You see how... Maybe they knew that. I think they did. But they were just... Maybe they were tired of just pumping it out, kind of like the Bee Gees. He also had that remake of the Beatles' Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds in 1975, did some pinball wizardry stuff, you know the Who, um, just before and right around the time of Philadelphia Freedom, another song that was released uh, not on an album, but it also went to number one in 75. Uh, sorry seems to be the hardest word, still remains one of my favorite tear-jerking songs of all time uh it appeared originally and i have it on the greater sits volume 2 album you know i think it's playing cricket on the front right, cover yeah. but for some reason copyright restrictions prohibit it to be on ensuing presses but it did appear on other uh, Dozens, or so it seems, of his compilation greatest right, albums. exactly. Since. I don't know why, yeah. but it did appear on the Blue Moves album, and by the fall of 76, I think Blue Moves was another double album. Mm-hmm. It was. It was like Elton was just putting everything out that he could think of and because he knew he needed to take a break.
1: He Absolutely. Was great
0: in concert. I never got a chance to see him. You know, when you're 14, 15 years old, I'm not driving. And as I said, my siblings either weren't around or they weren't going to Elton John concerts.
1: Right, exactly.
0: And if anybody that I knew had a car and was driving, I wasn't allowed to ride in a 16-year-old's car in the middle of winter to Richfield Coliseum, mm-hmm. was an hours drive to see the Eagles or something. That's just not going to happen. Sure. So I never saw Elton John, and I'm not sure he came around a lot in in Cleveland. Do you remember any Elton I John? I mean, yeah, concerts? he he
1: did come through um like anybody else, but I don't remember a lot of them now.
0: I remember the famous one at Dodger Stadium, and Mm -hmm. it's depicted on one of the album covers, and he's got his flamboyant Dodger glittery uniform on. Great performer. Uh, Ensuing albums, A Single Man, Victim of Love. You may remember some of those from Mama Can't Buy You Love. Yeah, absolutely. One of the ones I like was 1980. started working with uh, Chris Thomas, who produced uh, these albums, The Fox and Jump Up and 21 at 33, released in 1980. That's 21 albums, compilations in total by the age of 33. Incredible. Featured Little Genie, which sounds a little like Daniel, but I like it nonetheless. Absolutely. The Fox, talked about that, came out in May of 1981. Bill Champlin, who would later uh, join Chicago, only Mm -hmm. a year later. He also, Bill, was the co-writer of After the Love is Gone and uh, provided the vocals on the Fox before his work with Chicago. Other musicians on the album, I think we've talked about these guys before, Steve Lukather, Richie Zito, Jeff, and Steve Picaro from from Toto. Toto. Several tracks were recorded earlier from the Fox during the 21 and 33. That's not not unusual for artists. The Stones, I think, did that too, and a lot of other ones who... Put a lot of stuff in the bank and they might come back and finish up a song later or they just didn't want it to be a double album set or something. So they, they right. kept a lot of songs that they that they had already produced or maybe they reworked them or whatever. Then Jump Up in 1982, got them going again with Empty Garden, that song about John Lennon. John Lennon, Lennon yes. Hey, Hey Johnny, Blue Eyes, Princess, Too Low for Zero in 83. guess that's why they call it the blues. Now you're starting to hear Elton John again. With right. That, that airplay, but good stuff. Different sound than the, the 70s. Um, still Standing, Kiss the Bride, Breaking Hearts in 84. He's coming out with an album every year or so. He's Still he's, managing to come out with them. Yeah, he's dealing with his addictions and mm-hmm. uh, his, his weight issues. Uh, Ice on Fire, Nikita, you know. Uh, live in Australia, that featured Candle in the Wind and your song, both released as singles. Candle in the Wind would make a comeback in 1997 when Princes Die right. passed away. Red Strikes Back, uh, you know, Sleeping With the Past, which was good. Sacrifice and Healing Hands. It features a, a slimmed-down blonde-haired Elton John. I don't know if you remember that album cover, but I have that CD. It might have been one. Oh, really? Uh, the second one I bought. But good stuff, but you could tell Elton was a little sullen, a little bit down. Okay. In 1989, he, I guess he passed out on stage early in one of the concerts because of either overuse of stuff or just exhaustion or both. Right, One of my favorite albums, 1992, brought the uh, album called The One, which uh, was produced by Chris Thomas again. The One and uh, The Last Song, which uh, again was about um, a son's struggle as he's dying of AIDS, to rekindle his relationship with his father. Wow. And so it's a really good song. So if you ever get a chance to listen to uh, or download anything from The One, you're going to like that. Well, but Elton definitely. John then yeah, kind of moved into movies after that, didn't he?
1: Yeah, he did. And, you know, again, it was one of the things about him, his career, that I didn't know what you care for, but I, re- I respect that, uh, uh, boy, he sold a lot of records and uh, had made a lot of people happy
0: worked with tim rice on yep. lion king can you feel the love tonight academy award winner best original song elton won uh, also a grammy for best pop male performance he deserved it that was a great great song oh yes, just perfect for that movie he's also written soundtracks for the muse in 1999 the road to el dorado billy elliott rocket man he starred in some tv shows and some film roles uh, did a lot of compilation albums And come out with some new stuff, you know, Made in England, The Big Picture, some good stuff from Elton John. then he decided to do his thing at um, the Coliseum, Caesars Palace. Celine Dion was kind of finishing up her main residency there. So kind of shared that venue with Elton John. And then he did a bunch of shows there and decided to step away sometime in... Oh nine or so, he was replaced by Sheer, which is, a, I think, a perfect performer. Obviously. <laughs> for, <laughs> so they had the million dollar piano where he was residency uh, for a while. The the red piano. I, th- I think I saw him in the red piano concert. A lot of like phallic symbol, gigantic, oh, really? uh, moving, inflatable things, and he had a screen which he which now many artists do, but probably in 03 or 04, maybe that kind of technology seemed was just coming out where his idea of the song didn't quite match my idea of the song, except for maybe Daniel. But, you know, someone saved my life tonight. The guy's head was in an oven, and... He was talking about oh really the idea of getting married and whatever, but that's just not how I pictured it at all. But a, it's a weird night.
1: Yeah, very strange. Did you ever see Elton in concert? No, I did not. Um, I wish I had, uh, but I haven't seen him at least yet. Uh, who's, yeah. to, who's to say I, I still mm. may have a chance coming up here in the future?
0: When the pandemic hit, he was in the middle of his like eighty-five city never-ending tour. I think he mm-hmm. was still back uh, coming back to Cleveland. Uh, sometime along with the Eagles and other groups and maybe that will uh, work itself out before too long. Um, but I like him. I'm sick of him. I really like him. He's uh, uh, it's a great performer.
1: Yeah, like I said to begin with, he's can be very frustrating and he has been frustrating and I think he's frustrated himself at times during his career. Well, but he's frustrated
0: other people too, hence the title
1: Bitch is Back. Right? You know who that's about. Mm-hmm.
0: So he can be Very temperamental.
1: He can be, but I think uh, overall, I think he stood the test of time for sure. And even his minor albums are still better than most.
0: I agree. And you can pick out something in your record collection and and put a smile on your face, can't you? Oh, absolutely. My my kids who who love Lion King and love that song, uh, Can You Feel the Love?, Uh, and Elton John is kind at heart. He, he's a good-hearted man. You know, everybody knows him from his work with the AIDS Foundation and right. tremendous work he's done
1: there. So. Exactly.
0: So there's a new documentary coming out soon about Elton John featuring a lot of stuff that was not included in that 2019 film, Rocket Man. Really? Yeah, it's being put together by his longtime guitarist, Davy Johnstone. It's got Elton's seal of approval as well as his husband, David. It should be very interesting. It's going to include a lot of Elton John footage of the tours of the 70s and also never before seen footage of John Lennon, the last time he would appear on stage performing. Remember at Madison Square Garden, we talked about this before, where he came on stage and joined Elton on Thanksgiving night on, uh, in 1974, performed three songs together. One of them was, uh, I saw her standing there. If you have the single, like I do, of Philadelphia Freedom, flip it over, you'll find a nice surprise waiting for you on side B. They are putting the finishing touches on the documentary right now. They say it should be out around Easter time, and it's going to be called Pillars of Hercules. Hercules is the Middle name Elton John, uh, adopted many years ago. He is still one of my favorite artists, and I'm glad that we were able to uh, hit on Elton John before the end of season one. We have one more episode to go in season one. Frankie, thank you so much for your input today. Appreciate
1: it. Thanks for having me.
0: Next time around, we're going to talk about Woodstock.
1: Yeah, that's what I heard. So instead of
0: having our featured artists, we'll have featured artists. Yes, very many. Run down who they were and some of the tunes they played and the ensuing documentary film and some of the stuff that came out of that. And um, our featured year, our spotlight year, will be 1969. That's all next time around on Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. We'll see you next time.